Welcome to this week's session of Pricked the Interviews. My name is Kim Brown Sims, and as a nurse of over three decades, I've always said that I've pricked many, many people, and it was always for their own good. Pricked is an interview series that touches on those situations that cause us to react. Positive, negative, inspired, angered. Energy is created, and through telling the stories of what has pricked us in our lives, we gain insight to the common bonds in humanity. Great and powerful action can result from even the littlest prick. Join me now as we jump into another incredible story about being pricked. Into the hospital, a leader came, day in, day out, opening the door of their car, feeling the crisp bite of the morning chill, swinging their legs around to step onto the unrelenting pavement. Another day to serve those in need. Another day to remove obstacles standing in the way of safe patient care. Another day to inspire, support, and polish the lens through which caregivers' lights shined. Another day to be lied to. The unfortunate reality was that this leader knew their time in their role was coming to an end. No longer able to trust their boss, lies spoken over the prior three years had begun to reveal themselves. Discriminatory practices, blatant aggression, and persistent microaggression every day became more the norm. There was no longer room for dialogue. The time for collaboration had passed. Too much water under the bridge. Too many inconsistencies. Too much talk behind the back. The writing was on the wall. That erosion of trust complete. A recognition that wanting to change someone else was futile and that the only option was to move on and find joy elsewhere. It's an all-too-frequent tale, and at the center of it all is trust. Today's interview is called Trust Me, Red Lights on a Two-Lane Highway. My guest today is Terry Hamilton, and I am incredibly happy to have her come into the studio today. Terry is the founder of Hamilton & Associates, an executive and leadership coaching firm. She is a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives, previous hospital CEO, and certified by both the International Coaching Federation and Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. Terry and I have been colleagues over the last decade, having the privilege of co-facilitating several California Association of Healthcare Leaders face-to-face events. She is an executive and leadership coach extraordinaire, helping individuals find their paths and remove obstacles standing in their way. Welcome to the show, Terry. It's wonderful to have you here today. Well, thank you, Kim. (laughs) It's really great to be here. It's my um, first opportunity with you for some work around trust and a podcast, so I appreciate the opportunity very much and your guidance. My name is Teresa Hamilton. Casalino. It's a long one. My favorite name is T. I go by T with family and friends. A lot of people in healthcare know me as Terry. So any of the above work. But I have uh, had a varied career over my lifetime and had the privilege of serving as a nurse in the early part of my professional life back in Boston, where I was born and brought up. And um, then left healthcare medicine for almost two decades, and I was in high-tech publishing for the high-tech industry, and re-emerged and came back into healthcare, but from the executive management side, not, not the clinical bedside care that I had been doing previously. So I've kind of had opportunity to see how different organizations, nonprofit and for-profit work, and uh, been part of all of those, and along with all of my colleagues, uh, did it well sometimes and didn't do it so well other times. (laughs) And when I look back and think about that, I think, oh, this is where we really, really soared because we knew the trust was what mattered the most. You know, it's, it's actually great, one, to hear your journey, to kind of understand also how you arrived at you know, trust being such an essential component of, I think, everyone's world, but especially in the leadership world. 
You know, one thing that I would say even before we get started, though, is, you know, it was always so wonderful for me. Of course, I met you through the California Association of Healthcare Leaders and how much of an advocate you were, one, for employee development right out the gate. I mean, you partnered with Cal to sponsor educational events, and then you had that be kind of a team meeting and your your organization set everything up, all of the food, the venue, everything was always so wonderful. And you use that as a learning opportunity, you know, for your staff, for your leaders and your up and coming leaders. And it was the way to both support the organization, which Cal California Association of Healthcare Leaders is focused on helping develop future healthcare leaders. So you created a forum for that networking, understanding the value of networking and the value of people truly coming together and building relationships. And over and above that, it's how to build relationships and begin to trust one another. Because we know, of course, you know, your success is really predicated off the relationships that you build and any strong relationship is built off of trust. So, you know, maybe think back to those days, if you will, for just a moment and, you know, tell me really what the premise was. I mean, obviously I had my observation of what the premise behind that involvement was, but, you know, maybe from your vantage point, kind of what you were thinking as you volunteered your organization to be actively a part of that process. Yeah, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that example, but I'm glad you raised it because that wasn't on my mind, but I can see now that you bring it up that it'll be something fun to talk about with you because the executive team I had at the time and the leaders coming up behind them were really working incredibly hard like most healthcare leaders do and people in healthcare in general. And I saw it as an opportunity to help continue their professional development for sure, but as importantly, for them to be able to shine and get recognition for what they knew, you know, as, as speakers in their, within their world and share knowledge. And it turns out that recognition and recognizing excellence is a very key component of creating a trusting relationship. I've always known that trust was important instinctively and just witnessing what I did over my lifetime. But I was really curious about the why behind that. Why is it so important? Why does it kind of dismantle everything else if it isn't there? You can be doing a lot of things right, but if you don't have trust, it kind of all falls apart at some point. And I was able to just connect the dots for myself around this subject matter reading Paul Zak's article on how neuroscience affects the brain. Phenomenal article. Phenomenal. Incredible research. And the why behind it is that oxytocin is produced in the brain when we trust. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, so it that makes perfect sense, right? Because oxytocin is the thing that creates bonds, right? Right. So in labor and delivery world, you produce oxytocin, which puts the mother into labor so that you can deliver your child. And then you have this high level of oxytocin as the child is born and brought to you and now many times placed on your chest. And that flow of oxytocin creates that maternal child bond that is so critical in which tons and tons of research, Marshall Klaus and others have documented that that first hour of bonding is so important. And it's because the oxytocin levels in both the baby, because it's circulating your maternal hormones and the mom are so high. Right. Wow. Wow. That's a wow. That's a wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wow. And it, it turns out, you know, that wow happens, you know, probably to slightly lesser degree, but it is still a wow when two people trust one another because their oxytocin levels are higher. And so that's what's going on inside our brain and our bodies when we're trusting and why it feels so good and why we feel so comfortable sort of giving people money or trusting them in a relationship or allowing them to take care of us when we're ill in the hospital is because we trust them. Mm -hmm. And that trust comes from an emotion not 
our technical competence or all of our credentials or the fact that we are reliable. Those things are important, but the most important factor is the emotion around trust. So it's very revealing that you say that because I don't know about you, but definitely for me as a leader within healthcare and just a leader in general for so many years, And I think it's a little predominant for me as well, being a woman, and you're also a woman, I'll just call out, you identify as a woman, that so many times we were pushed in the direction of do not show emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, women are not going to be good as leaders because they show too much emotion. Mm -hmm. When the reality is, and now there's tons of research to support this, but, and as you're saying, but when you show emotion, you actually create connection you build the relationships, which enhance this trust that you're talking about, and you're able to be more effective as a leader, but also with your team, because you've created that camaraderie, you've created that safe space, and trust is that essential component based off of emotion, mm-hmm. not skill, emotion. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, it turns out that when providers are providing a service, you know, at the bedside or as consultants or any field, really. But if you think about this at the bedside in particular, we come from a sense of confidence and competence. We know how to do these things. We've been trained. We've done it a hundred times, perhaps that day. We've done it thousands of times over our lifetime as a nurse or a physician or a respiratory therapist, whatever the, the clinical department might be. So we come with that level of confidence. But the patient or the client is receiving that on an emotional level. They make a decision to allow you to do that based on their emotion around it, not your technical competence. That is not the overriding factor. It's important that they know that. There's been a a trust equation developed uh, by Master Green and Goldfard who wrote The Trusted Advisor. It's a book. It's a great book on trust. And they developed an equation as a framework for looking at the topic. And it's trust equals credibility, reliability, and intimacy over low self-orientation. Credibility, reliability, what was the third one? Credibility, reliability, and intimacy. Intimacy mm-hmm. over low self-orientation, meaning Correct. focusing on the other person. Exactly. You know, credibility being, does this person know how? Are they capable of doing this? Have they done it repeatedly and done it well? You know, in effect, can I trust them for who they represent themselves to be? So showing diplomas, wearing your badge, you know, those things are important. It, it generates a certain level of confidence and trust on the receiver, a client, a patient, you know, whoever it might be. Reliability is linking the credibility with uh, action. So I know you can do this. Are you going to, and you're going to do it the same way every time, kind of linking the idea with action. And intimacy is the fact that, you know, you're showing up for who you are. There's no facade. You're professional, of course, but there's no facade. Being honest, open, presenting your whole self, what we call so much today to be present and in the moment. And just over low self-orientation, when we're in those situations, really actively listening, engaged, and the person receiving can see that and connects with that. And those combined kind of, you can see the elements of what make up trust. When I added, when I took that knowledge, that was a book I read several years ago, when I took that knowledge and then I read Zach's article, I was finally able to connect the dots to say, why? What's what's kind of going on inside our body that's allowing that to actually take place? There's got to be something more to it than that. And that's that production of oxytocin. Amazing. So, I, you know, I absolutely love all of this because, you know, the other component of leadership that so many for so many years focused on was fitting into what I call the vanilla box. 
you're only going to be successful if you step into this box and you exhibit the qualities that are seen as leadership qualities. Don't be emotional, you know, command authority, tell people what to do, don't seek input. You know, those types of things, I think, work the classic leadership model and they exist a lot still today, that hierarchical, I call it the hierarchical fear-based top-down leadership model. Do as I say, don't question, right? And there is a time for that, you know, that uh, dictator kind of leadership mode model. But the reality is you don't build trust and you don't build amazing teams when you function in that capacity. When you truly connect with people, when you honor them, when you find out what their expertise is and you celebrate those gifts, when you publicly bring them together and say, I value you, tell me what we need to do in this situation, and you gather information from all aspects and you say, together, we have a goal to achieve. How are we going to get there? Here we have all this information. What's our first logical step forward? Those are the tenets of building a strong team. And again, that's going to be based off of trust because people feel that their words are valuable, that their expertise is valuable, that they bring something to the table that is desired and wanted. So it builds you up, right? And when you get built up like that, you also have serotonin production. And the serotonin and oxytocin working together give you that sense of consistent happiness, you know, I feel valued, I feel like, you know, I belong here. And then the oxytocin, which starts connecting you with people, right? Right. I love the neuroscience of how we create relationships. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love it because it truly does connect us um, on so many levels. Right now, we're in the midst of a traumatic experience. We're having worldwide trauma, widespread trauma what people are doing and kind of the direction we were going as a society anyway was to the instant gratification and dopamine hit mentality or desire in order to feel good momentarily. So it's the whole idea behind Facebook, Instagram, all of these social media likes. If I post something and I have 1,500 people liking it, every time someone likes it, it gives me that little hit. Or every time I click on the social media, or every time I click into my messenger and there's a message there, or every time I click on an email or click on an Amazon buy, it gives you a little hit of dopamine, which gives you a momentary feeling of euphoria. It's also the tenets of addictive behavior. It's why those who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, it's why they self-medicate because they want those little hits of dopamine but they're not lasting. They're not sustainable. They don't equate to true happiness. Some people would argue that because they're so immersed in the constant clicking mentality that their dopamine is constantly pushing, but it has detrimental long-term effects. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, as a result of Paul Zach's work around this, which, you know, was decades long, he offers Eight tips for management based upon his findings. Let's hear them. Recognizing excellence, inducing a challenge, stress, you know, difficult but achievable goals, right? Right. We Uh, have this in front of us. How are we going to achieve it? Exactly. Giving people discretion on how they do their work. Enabling job crafting to your point about what I would call people being able to kind of customize how they do things or customize, kind of bring their whole self into a project and and bring their unique talents to it. Sharing information broadly. This is a real big driver. This is where the companies score in the lowest category. Even companies that are doing well with trust across the board, sharing information was on the the low end of of the spectrum. Companies just don't do enough sharing of information. And the flip, the downside to that is people are unsure. They don't know where the, where it's headed. They, they're they a little more pessimistic. They're not certain how things are going to play out. So they're not necessarily leaning in the way they would otherwise. Right. Their shield comes up. And, and I'll just be crass and say, in the absence of information, people make shit up. And it's true. Exactly. <laughs> And And it's usually not positive. Right. And back back to oxytocin for a moment, that 
not having information increases stress levels and stress is a great inhibitor for oxytocin. So that's, that's the sort of chemical effect that's taking place in people's brains when they're stressed. So they're not going to be super creative. They're not going to be super motivated because stress is kind of overtaking everything. So it's Um, interesting that you say that, and we'll get back to the list in just a second, because again, right now um, with this ongoing response to the pandemic, this ongoing trauma, you're seeing a lot of heightened tensions in relationships, both at work and at home. Mm -hmm. And one could surmise then based off of what you just shared that because we're all under this intense amount of stress, anxiety, depression, all of these things are setting in because of this fear of the unknown. We're kind of closing ourselves off. The cortisol levels are pumping, right, which is a stress hormone, which is suppressing the secretion of oxytocin. So being able to connect, you know, with your peers and your family is increasingly different, difficult, and tensions are very high. You're seeing it everywhere. I was recently related a story about, you know, I live in a in a very hospitality tourism oriented area and people are coming in and demanding service and people owners of the different establishments, restaurants and and tasting rooms and so on are saying, "No. I'm sorry. I can't, you know, I can't go beyond what the county is recommending for the number of people or whatever." And others are just saying, "Get off of my property." Tensions are that high to where security is now being ordered to stand post at some of these establishments because people have zero tolerance. Their tolerance is low. Their reactionary nature is heightened. And there's also less tolerance by, you know, the people who actually own and work in the shops. So it is very interesting. So we were, I have four of them written, but maybe... Well, you might have been on five. Give them recognition, challenge them, job crafting, and share information broadly. And recognizing excellent, oh, excellent recognizing excellent, inducing a challenge stress. Yes. Uh, giving people discretion on how they do their work. Yes. Enable job crafting and sharing information broadly. That's five. Yep. And then uh, six is intentionally building relationships, meaning to go beyond work, to understand how people are doing in a, in a social way. It doesn't mean you need to be best friends with them, but being curious about their lives and opening up that part of conversation uh, with folks and understanding, again, who are you beyond what I see on your badge? You know? Exactly. <laughs> Facilitating whole person growth. Um, high High-performing companies around trust, their people are developed personally and professionally. It's just a lot of effort put around that at, at a cultural level. And he cites Adobe as being one of the companies that, that does that well. Adobe and I think Siemens as well. Uh, again, as a result of the pandemic and what they've seen as possible, Siemens has now made it their company policy and philosophy that people can work from home and that there is not a mandate that you have to work eight hours per day. It's all focused on outcome. So now you have the flexibility to craft your life however you see fit, however it's going to work best for you and your family, so long as you deliver the outcomes that are expected and agreed upon, um, kind of like contract grading, and we could go into a whole other scenario around that. But uh, you enter into a contract with your employer and you deliver on that contract and how you run the rest of your life is up to you. Siemens has taken that stance now as well. So Adobe and Siemens, it sounds like Mm. great, great organizations to work for. It's interesting that they're, you know, high tech type companies that have typically younger, younger folks working for them as the majority of their workforce. So they're recognizing and working to meet their needs personally and professionally, which is brilliant. And why aren't we doing that in healthcare? Hmm, you don't have to answer that question. <laughs> I have some ideas around that. They're radical notions, so look for that in the book. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. Uh, and then the, uh, the the eighth is uh, showing vulnerability uh, and how how powerful that really is when leaders show their vulnerable side. It, it actually 
increases oxytocin production. <laughs> let's talk about, you know, let's talk about that just for a moment. So there's showing your vulnerability and not going overboard and airing all of your dirty laundry, right? right. There is a, there's a happy medium there, but right. it's okay as a leader to say, you know what? I am struggling today. I'm struggling. I have multiple things going on in my life. Here are the things that we need to accomplish. How can we go about accomplishing these? You know, or I am triple booked. However that happened, you know, I own it. It's my bad. I own my schedule. I need some help today. Can you potentially cover this meeting for me? Do you have that capacity? Because just like with parenting, you don't have to be perfect. And if you mess up, all you have to say is, I'm sorry, I messed up. I totally own that. Here's what I learned from it. And I'll do better next time. That shows a level of vulnerability that is actually respected. And I think to your point, creates that bond and increases that, that flow of oxytocin. Mm -hmm. It has always worked for me personally. And I'm sure for you as well as a leader. And I know for a fact, in your coaching world, that works very, very, you know, well for you as, as well. Absolutely. You know, the, um, his kind of summary comment uh, was that the two areas that organizations generally had the most, still the most work to do and that had so much, had, they so powerfully impact trust or, is recognizing excellence and sharing, you know, sharing information as, as I mentioned a moment ago. But in high trust organizations across the board, having that trustful environment had a major impact on employees having more energy, they're more engaged. He measured each of these separately. Sure. More productive, more loyal, more likely to recommend the company. They were more aligned with the company's goals and, and mission. And they were ultimately more productive and more innovative. And that it makes perfect sense. All of that, which is so powerful when you think about it doesn't really take that much effort to one, to understand trust and two, to make it happen, to be the first one to say, I want to have a trustful relationship. It's not very complicated. Right. <laughs> Just put it out there, right? Just right. say it, say it to people. And how do we do that? How do we build it together? Like, let's do this together. Wow. What a way to build trust to say, I want to do this. I'm not sure I'm going to be good at it. And then I'm not sure that we're going to be able to, but let's give it a go because two people together really can make incredible things happen. I always say, you know, together we can achieve the unimaginable because you're one single mind. You can achieve something that you can think up. But when you have two minds together, you're going to create something that neither one of you alone could create. I have a question for you, though, around recognizing excellence. So, Terry, is recognizing excellence you know, saying woohoo, you did a good job. Sometimes. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it? It is. It's more impactful if you can speak specifically about what that person did. Yeah. Be, and, and actually talk to the person. And actually talk to the person. <laughs> but I mean, if you're walking down the hall and it's a quick, hey, you did a great job today, people, you know, that that's going to resonate. But it's so much even more powerful to say, here's how I thought you really killed it today. We really did a phenomenal job. And I know when I've had those, had the opportunity to have those conversations, people just light up and then I feel lit up and it's just a great moment. You've got um, some oxytocin flow. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. No, no question. I well, think, it's true. It's reciprocal, right? Good oh, feelings are reciprocal. Very much so. Yeah. I, absolutely. The research that Zach did, he did an interesting research with them a group sending money to someone and people receiving money. That, that's how he discovered what he discovered. And even the senders of the, of the money, when the recipient received it and how they responded, uh, increased their oxytocin. So there's a, there's a flow there. It's fascinating. Well, it also you know, goes, it supports the old adage as well, that when you give of yourself, you receive tenfold. Absolutely. It, it, it's exactly what's at the basis for volunteerism. So you could actually say, that volunteering for a cause that is important to you creates trust amongst your peers and others who observe you doing it and the people that you're, you know, supporting. And the reality is with this oxytocin, you know, production, then you're getting it back. You're, and I have a perfect example of it, actually. One of the things my last organization very much supported volunteerism. 
And so there were several things that we as a leadership team had the opportunity to do, one being to work at uh, what was called the table, and it was a food distribution where they prepared meals for uh, the homeless. And uh, we got to serve. We get to sponsor a day a month, and then we got to serve the food that we helped either collect or cook. Mm -hmm. And it was so gratifying the the people who came through you know they would just look at you one some would be almost ashamed like you know they wouldn't look you in the eye and then there would be others that would just be so grateful to have a hot meal and they would thank you persistently and it'd be like this is the least i can do honestly to serve you food you know i wish that there was so much more that i could do but mm -hmm. it really does fill your bucket Mm -hmm. to see that you're helping in some small way. Definitely, definitely. No question. Yeah, that there's a lot said about trust, but for me, I, I found understanding the, the components from the framework of that equation and tying that to what's actually going on inside our bodies and why it feels so good when you have a trusting relationship, just like a, a romantic relationship with your spouse when you feel that kind of or partner when you feel that kind of trust is there's nothing really better than that feeling it's really remarkably wonderful and it's hard to lose it you know when someone passes away you've lost that trusting partner right and we use the word so commonly i the reason one of the reasons i like to talk about it is with clients is because it's just people sort of assume it's in place and i i don't think that's the case you know, that's an interesting concept that we can, you know, pick apart a little bit because I'm a very trusting individual. Like I meet people and I give them trust um, out the door and until something happens that makes me pause. And then I step back and I reassess and I usually engage in dialogue with the individual to say this happened and it caused me pause. And, you know, can you explain a little more, right? Coming from the seeking understanding versus blaming perspective, and then there are others who don't trust until they work with an individual for a period of time and they build that trust slowly over time. And then they say, yes, now I can give you full trust. Mm -hmm. In your experience or from your research and reading, do you think one approach is any better than the other and which one is perhaps the most common approach? I think it's probably most common that people are basically trusting. To one degree or another, maybe, you know, maybe you're more trusting on that spectrum than your sister, you know, but mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a matter of degree. I, I think it's, that's my observation. I mean, I haven't seen any research on that, but I also think it's true, especially in professional relationships, even personal ones, but professional relationships where we're taking care of someone at the bedside or we're leading a team we do have to earn people's trust every day. Make sure we keep it intact. Oh, it's so easily lost. It is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take, yeah. yeah, it takes no time at all. And so I think showing up knowing that I know this person trusts me and I want to maintain that trust <laughs> and being mindful of it. I think it's around being just mindful of kind of what a sacred relationship that is. Even if it's someone you don't really like, and you don't have to be best friends with the person, but if you're working with them, taking care of them, um, trust needs to be there and it's going to make everyone's life more joyful, happier, a better experience. So sort of like what you need to do. <laughs> so it's it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I I think that because we live in, and correct me if, correct me if I'm wrong, or if your perspective is different, actually, you know, I think we live in a very punitive society. I think that people are looking for a reason to put someone down or to oust someone, or I think that there is, and I'm a, I'm an optimistic person. I think I wear rose colored glasses and see that, you know, there can be a positive from almost any interaction. But I myself have been on many occasions taken by surprise. I'm frequently taken by surprise when somebody does something that is intentionally mean or distrustful. Mm -hmm. I am taken by surprise uh, because I don't function in that capacity for the most part. 
So I think over time, we one, we live in this negative society, but two, over time with our experiences of being what I'll call burned time after time after time, you become somewhat jaded. So you're almost looking for the other shoe to fall. And I know that happens in, in romantic relationships all the time. Oh, the last boyfriend cheated on me or the last girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know, did me wrong or whatever. And so you, you have, you're a little bit more timid with the next person that you engage with. I find that to be true at work many, many times as well. And even myself personally, I'm a little more hesitant in the professional setting as to what's this individual's motive and are they truly here to see my success as well as their own or are they really only in it for themselves? That's a perspective that I see frequently and I myself have experienced, you know, or projected, I guess. That goes to Um, that. That goes to that low or high self-orientation in a trustful relationship, you know, mm-hmm. and understanding what uh, questioning people's motives at times is necessary. So, you know, who is this person? You know, what, what am I coping with right here? <laughs> you know, I think frequently I see this a lot with reactions to social media thought pieces that are, that I've put out and that other people have put out when people are talking about bosses who are horrible bosses, you hear it more often than not that there are more horrible bosses in the world than there are good bosses. And many times that horrible boss is focused on the fact that they are so self-oriented. They really are not invested in their employees or the success of their employees. They're always fearful of being replaced or of working with an individual or who will be their successor or who has the potential to be their successor, they work from a place of, I'm fearful that you are going to take my job. So I'm really not going to give you the opportunities. I'm going to block you. I'm going to take every opportunity to, to um, dull your shine. And then there are also bosses who once they give you so much leash, but when you get to that in the end of that leash and you've shined so brightly, which is what they wanted you to do, they start to feel threatened. And so then they look for ways to undermine you. And I find that very, very common. So when you're in that situation, especially as an executive coach, you know, kind of what advice do you have? What do you give people when they start having to question the intent of an individual? And how do you regain trust in that individual when you start to perceive that some of these behaviors are being exhibited? Well, in a coaching relationship in particular, the only person that I can help is the person sitting in front of me. And the only person that that person sitting in front of me can control or have direction over actions is his or her own. So my discussion with them would be around, what can you do? What role do you have in this? How can you make changes in your life and to bring you more joy and less stress and what can you do? What actions can you take? What actions do you need to take? If it's, you know, mm-hmm. what do you want to consider here? Because you really can't change that other person. That's never Well, right. Happen. If you yeah. go into any relationship thinking that you can change a person, you're up for a huge battle and it's likely not to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think at that juncture, as you're saying, you have to think about what actions you own. Is it appropriate at that point to go to that person and say, I'm really struggling with our relationship? to see if it has the possibility of being rectified and knowing that you are potentially putting yourself on the line. Because if you open that door of saying, I no no longer trust you, you might not be that direct, but you know, I'm struggling with our relationship. You know, can you, can we work together to improve Mm -hmm. um, how we work together? If the other person, especially if it's your boss gets wind that you don't trust them, then that, they start stop trusting you as much if if they haven't already right right and then you've really set yourself up for, for right. 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 so what's the right approach you know because it is it is you you have to own it if you don't trust somebody you know what interactions what events occurred and what can you learn from those events if it's if it's imperative that you continue to work with that person then you do have to take steps and say hey something's not working here and can we Can we revisit this situation or what was your intention there? And again, coming from a low sense of self-focus to uh, help me understand kind of perspective to see if you can ferret anything out because maybe you have a misunderstanding of a a situation. 
It also gives you information, though, if you if what that person tells you is in direct opposition of what you know to be true, then right. It's, right. I think that's pretty much solidifies your perspective and gives you the information you need to say, I don't know that I can stay in this environment and continue to work with someone who is not honest and has little to no integrity. Absolutely. I mean, every every situation like that is really unique, you know, in so many ways. How long have pe- the people been there? How invested are they in wanting to stay for other reasons? All kinds of things. So I think in a coaching relationship, we'd be talking about what are the various options that one could consider? What what options might we sit and talk about and consider? And what would the consequence of each of those look like to really take a, some time to kind of think through what what's the best way to approach this in terms of what I can do to make a change and not so much waiting for the other person to change or leave or get promoted or pushed out or whatever, because you have no control over any of that. No, you don't. It's interesting because I read recently, a thought piece was put out on social media about ways that you can approach your boss when they basically when they're horrible bosses when they've when they've done things to erode your trust and there was an outcry i was a little taken aback by but there was an outcry in the comments about why all of a sudden do i now need to take responsibility for the behaviors of someone who is above me Mm -hmm. like isn't my life stressful enough already and having to deal on a day-to-day basis with this individual and to try and continue to be successful with this individual delivering whatever unreasonable demands they have or or whatever without now having to make myself even more vulnerable and put my job on the line by trying to engage with them. Mm-hmm. But it takes two people in my mind, and this is where I've always personally struggled whenever I've had an, uh, an, an issue with a boss is, What piece of it do I own and how could I have done things differently? How did I contribute to the demise of this relationship and what can I do differently moving forward or moving forward with that individual or moving forward in a different organization? Yeah, yeah. And asking yourself the question, what do I want this relationship to look like? So that's that's very, very important because if it doesn't really matter, like this person is of no consequence to me. This person can facilitate me getting to the next job. Maybe, maybe, because if you don't have a good relationship with them, if there's an erosion of trust, if they're, you know, doing micro aggressive behaviors, excluding you from meetings and going behind your back with your team members or whatever it is that they're doing, it is unlikely that they're going to be an advocate for you. So at that juncture, it's a matter of cutting your losses and aligning yourself or securing support from other team members that are on that equal level or in a different, you know, venue within the system or whatever that can support you in the good work that yeah. you do. Because there is always someone who will support you in the good work that you do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's where getting getting to our, having that opportunity to have discussion about what's the reality of the situation? You know, what are the major elements here? And let's talk about options. <laughs> yeah, for things, you, actions you can take to to have the life you want. Well, so that's that brings it full circle to you owning your life mm-hmm. and trusting yourself, mm-hmm. which is key. Trusting yourself mm-hmm. in your capabilities and saying this is what I want and these are the steps that I need to take in order to achieve that. And walking away from fear and, Mm -hmm. you know, just really giving yourself the opportunity to find that bliss that you think you'll find by following your passion and your purpose and your mission, right? Absolutely. You're right. It all starts with with us. We have to trust ourselves. And, you know, and maybe, maybe that's something you can comment on too. Like if you don't trust yourself, how are your relationships going to be with others? That would require some work. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that would require some self-introspection and finding out what element of that trust equation do you feel like you, you're missing or do you want to improve or work on? Where's the, where's the gap? Maybe mm-hmm. even seeking, if you're brave enough to seek input from people you trust. Mm-hmm. 
something that I really want to work on. I feel like I'm letting down my partner because I'm not reliable or I perceive myself not to be a lot reliable or I'm not reliable. Well, who told you you're not reliable? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're our own worst enemies, honestly, are we not? I think we we hold ourselves to a higher standard than we hold any, at least I do. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking with a broad brush, but I find that people hold themselves to a higher standard than any other person ever holds them to. And I also feel, and I've actually written about this, you know, I also feel like we're harder on ourselves than anyone else is on us. All day, every day. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I, I just feel as if we actually each treated ourselves like we would treat our best friend. Mm-hmm. who you are 110% in support of at any given time. And you tell them you can do it. I have faith in you. I have confidence in you. We don't talk to ourselves like that. We no. second guess ourselves. We say, how do you think you're going to be able to do this? You don't have this little teeny tiny bit of knowledge over here. You've got all this knowledge over here, but this little teeny tiny bit you're, you've admitted. So how do you think you're going to be able to move forward? You know, again, I'm an optimist and yet I have a lot of negative self-talk in my head, you know, about my shortcomings because you just know that there's so much more in the world to learn. So how could the little bit that I know be enough? Yeah, I think, you know, what I have to remind myself is uh, good is good enough and it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. How do we get that message out there, Terry? Oh, wow. That's a big question. (laughs) get that message out there i have to think about that i i really kim i don't know the answer to that because i think i can say of all the people i've coached had the privilege to coach most don't think they're good enough where does that come from yeah yeah i don't know where that comes from i think it i think it's american society honestly i think that it's it's the culture that we live in in the united states although i have to admit that many of the, again, very broad stroke, but the millennial and um, Gen Z groups, and I call them zillennials, clumping them together, I think they have much more of the perspective of good is good enough. Like, I'm just going to put something out there and see where it goes. They don't care about the text message that isn't grammatically correct. They don't care that there's a typo, whereas I go back and correct every typo that's in a text Mm -hmm. message, and I apologize for my typo. You know there might be generational differences as well because they're used to internet and technology where you're reading articles and they're full of misspellings and incorrect grammar. Nobody seems to care because the message is what's important. Yeah, yeah. And I think I that that's a great observation. I, I agree with what you've said because certainly growing up, I think for many of us, the message was you need to get this right you need to dot that I. Why isn't that T crossed? You know, um, <laughs> which, which gets in the way of the greatness. So right. this is where great gets in the way of good. Right. Right. Perfection versus imperfection. Right. There you go. <laughs> Just do something. Put something on the paper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea for many of us is that we do have something to say. And, you know, sort of like today, I didn't do all this research Minds far greater than mine have done that work, but I soaked it up like a sponge. I love the information. I was curious about the topic. I'm still curious about the topic. And for me, I was able to put those pieces together and have it make sense for me and then talk about it with you. I had that opportunity to talk about it with you. So why wouldn't I take that opportunity? Right. Because um, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the mastermind. You have to have passion around it. Right. I have passion around it, too. I have passion around celebrating people's gifts. So when you talk about trusting individuals for and celebrating their excellence, you build trust by saying, I see this light in you. Mm-hmm. I see this light and I want that light to shine. And this is how I see it shining. How do you see it shining? And then coming together and creating a mechanism for that light to shine. We all don't have to be good at everything. You're good at what you're good at. Let's make that good even better Mm -hmm. if that's your desire. Otherwise, let's just keep utilizing that good Mm -hmm. for the good of everyone. 
but we don't have that mentality. If we have this mentality that you got to be great at everything, that's not the reality. Be good at what you're good at, good at, and fill the gaps with people who are good at whatever it is that the gap is. It's not a gap that you own. It doesn't make you any less. It makes you special in this way and this other person special in this other way. And together, oh my gosh, look at what we can achieve. Look at how far we've come. It leads naturally to collaboration, which is, you know, where the magic lies, I think. (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you for sharing your gifts and, you know, your passion around trust. And I have to ask you, Two more questions. Okay, the first question is, share a little bit more about who you are, not what you do, who you are, what you're passionate about. And then the last question I'll ask is, what parting knowledge do you want to leave with the listeners? Mm. Oh, who I am. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I think I'm really a generalist about life. There's so much that interests me. (laughs) Family friends, dogs, culture, the environment, travel, opera, music of all kinds, opera, um, just all the things I have interest in and, and have a chance to do a lot of. My other sort of not related to my professional work passion is the organization called Campaign One at a Time. I think I've mentioned this to you before, which is a a nonprofit organization founded by this very young guy about eight years ago when he was literally just a kid. And it is thriving today. And the organization's mission is to help children never feel alone as they go through life-threatening illness. And it all came about as a result of my friend Brody, who founded the organization when he was about 20 his next door neighbor, Sam, a girl, was a young kid, always played basketball in the yard. Brody came home from school one day, hadn't seen Sam in a week playing basketball, asked her mom, where's Sam? I haven't seen her around. Turns out that Sam had been diagnosed with a severe form of cancer, a rare form of cancer. And Brody just decided that he wanted to go do something about that. So he was a musician, an active musician at the time, in addition to going to school. He decided to hold a concert and raise money and made these little bracelets with her name on them and sold them to raise money because she wanted to learn how to uh, ride a bike. And so he did that and he made that happen. And oxytocin was really flowing because he, he I, I did I wasn't involved with the event at the time I, he told me about it but I wasn't a part of it at that moment but he was so pumped up by that and had he got so much joy from being able to help and most importantly his joy really came as much from the people he was able to bring into the fold and all the joy they had so one thing has led to another and it is now an international organization And this past year, we helped 750 kids around the country in multiple states and the Philippines by sending gifts, being with them during treatment, uh, spending time with them and their families while they're in the hospital doing the things they love to do. And I could go on and on about it, but it's a great organization. So I currently give a fair amount of my volunteer time to them. I'm chairing their board and I, you know, even when I'm not on the board someday, they will be my topmost charity because they're doing such phenomenal things. And it's just great to see so many young people making such a difference in kids' lives. It's, it's huge. So that, that brings me joy. I'm, I'm lucky to have a lot of really young people in my life, professionally and through this organization. And I love it because they're so engaged in life. And risk-taking and taking a chance. And I saw them pivot on a dime during the pandemic, change the organization from, from here's what we were doing, how do we do it differently? Because if we don't, we're going to go under. <laughs> and by the next day, we did it. You know, <laughs> So that's, that's just been very exciting. Yeah, just an open mind and sort of open books to trying things. And I love that. Love seeing that happen. 
I think that uh, the youth are unfettered by convention. Yes. There are still those who very much want to fit inside the box. They don't want to stand out. They just want to do, you know, whatever it is that they need to do in order to move forward kind of unnoticed. But there are others who are unfettered by convention and they want to rewrite what convention looks like. I, I think one of the reasons that our past president was, you know, elected into office was because he was different. You know, he yeah. wasn't he wasn't going to be constrained by convention um, that didn't necessarily serve us as a country. Well, but, um, you know, it, it, it is a sign of the times. I think mm -hmm. that resonates with people. I, I would agree with that. I think that's one of the elements of of why that happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But back to your point about trust, there was no creation of safety or trust um, from actions. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that most basic tenet, you have nowhere to go, right? It's, it's Maslow's hierarchy. You have to have basic food, water, and shelter before you can, you know, think above and beyond that. And food, water, and sh a shelter equate to trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. <laughs> there's no trust. There's no love. There's no oxytocin. There's no love. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Did I connect that's, those dots? That may, that may be how we get the message out to the world. No oxytocin, no love. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. What are your parting words, Terry? This has been a phenomenal conversation. Well, I absolutely loved every that. moment. I love it. Oh, my parting words are, um, oh, it may sound corny, but life is short. Go out and make joy. Find joy and create joy for people in all you do. I think that's a very wise message. And it's certainly pertinent to our times. So. Again, I'm just going to thank you. I can't thank you enough for the sharing of your gifts, your wisdom, your knowledge, your friendship. I hold you very dear and uh, near to me, to my heart. And I just thank you for the joy that you bring the world because you most definitely thank do every you, single day. Same about you. You know that. <laughs> every time we talk, it's it's a treat. I think there's oxytocin going on here. <laughs> I think there's a flow. I think the river of oxytocin is flowing here. So Over the internet, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. That's, that's as best as we can get right now. Okay. We'll take it. Right. right. Good. Not great, but good. We'll take the good. Someday we'll be on a deck in your beautiful countryside sipping some <laughs> amazing wine and talking about the days when. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> the fridge is full, believe me. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you again for your time. I hope you have an amazing day. And thanks. Thanks so much, Terry. It's been thank a pleasure as always. I'll see you soon. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. A trusting culture is created by the leaders in an organization, our guest, Terry Hamilton, says. It's reliant on the recognition of excellence and the broad sharing of information at its most base level. Trust is an emotion not a skill or set of reliability standards. When it is experienced between two people, there are higher levels of the bond or relationship hormone called oxytocin. Conversely, when under stress, cortisol is released, which blocks the production and secretion of oxytocin, thereby creating an obstacle to that trust. It is a misnomer to say that showing emotion works against a leader's credibility. Quite the opposite. A leader who shows emotion and vulnerability actually stimulates the flow of oxytocin and therefore increases the likelihood of building trusting relationships. So shift your red lights to green and let the oxytocin flow on your trust highway. Sit back and watch the magic happen when the team is pricked by the inspiration of trust. Just think, the story you share today can be the fuel that powers lasting change tomorrow. We all need fuel personally and professionally. What fuels this podcast, the book, and the greatest gift leadership development courses is your interest. If you like what you hear, please connect with me on social media and subscribe to my podcast and YouTube channel. LinkedIn, Kim-Brown-Sims. Facebook, Kim.BrownSims. Instagram, at KimBrownSims underscore. Twitter, at ConsultingKBS. YouTube, Pricked channel, podcast outlets, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Google Podcasts, to name a few. Look for my book coming soon and available for pre-order on my website, kimbrownsims.com. 
I am also available for speaking engagements, where in my pricked presentation, I speak to a wide variety of general and corporate audiences with humor and passion about the pricks that have held me back, the pricks that I have given as a nurse, and how the pricks in our lives can inspire great, powerful, and urgent action. And remember, take a moment to thank the pricks in your life for giving you the shot in the ass that inspired you to greatness. Have a great day, and remember... Don't be a prick.